Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right, we're going to do um, the first single from the record, which is called People Get Old. This is my pal Marcarelli over here singing and playing um, with me today. So here it is, People Get Old. said youth is wasted on the young I spilled every last drop of time last summer in the sun my daddy had a Timex watch cigarette in his hand and a mouthful of scotch spinning me around like a suit the world on his arm houses need paint Winters bring snow, your kids come on in before your supper gets cold. Collection plates and daddy's billfold, and that's how it goes. You live long enough, people get old. I sat up Beside him in the cab of that truck Going 30 miles an hour down a side road Talking about the fish we caught And I'm older now than he was then If I could go back in time I would in a second To his beat up blue jeans And a t-shirt with the sleeves cut off Houses need paint Winters bring snow, kids growing up and sneaking out the window, hitting every small town dirt road, and that's how it goes. Live long enough, people get old. Yeah, people get old. cars by himself and he shouldn't be shoveling that first snow but you know he won't take the help for the ride and love he don't say too much but hell he never did if you still think he's 45 and he still thinks that you're a kid one day you find yourself saying the things they said You'll be walking down the hallway, turning off every light switch. And you'll twirl your kids in your arms before you know it won't take too long. They'll be running off, making a life just like you did. Houses need paint, winters bring stone. Nothing says love like a band of gold. Babies grow up and houses get sold And that's how it goes Time is a thief, pain is a gift The past is a past, it is what it is Every line on your face tells a story Somebody knows It's just how it goes You live long enough The people you love
Welcome to the Billboard Charpie Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. So last week on the podcast, we had Grammy Award winner Richard Marks. This week, we're just making this, uh, you got to win a Grammy Award to get on the podcast lately. Lori McKenna is our special guest this week, uh, who you just heard open the podcast. That was uh, Lori doing People Get Old from her new album, The Tree released uh, last Friday, July 20th. A great performance by Lori. Uh, she's coming up here on the podcast this week as our special guest. Uh, she's written some huge country hits in recent years. Uh, Humble and Kind for Tim McGraw. Uh, she co-wrote Girl Crush for Little Big Town. Carrie Underwood's current hit, Cry Pretty. So uh, we're going to talk to Lori uh, coming up. Another song on the way. Uh, talking about Richard Marks, Trevor. Kind of interesting timing. So uh, we interviewed Richard in June. We posted the podcast with him last Thursday, July 19th. Uh, July 18th, the day before, he tweeted in response to Trump. He said, uh, I misspoke. I meant to say I wouldn't be right here waiting for you. And got up to 260,000 likes since then. So the day before the podcast posted, uh, that tweet came out, absolutely blew up afterwards. So uh, interesting time, I guess, right? We we had him uh, on at the time when uh, all of a sudden that day, everybody was talking about it. Was it the tweet or was it the podcast? Uh, I'll, um, if I had to be a betting man, I'm going to say it was probably the tweet. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, in this moment, all things Trump, good and or bad, get a lot of traction and uh, no exception here. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I thought, oh, you know, we're, we're going back to 1988. I'm not sure younger fans really know everything about him. But uh, as it worked out, uh, everybody was talking about him that day. It's one of those songs that like, even if you don't know Richard Marks, you know, is is the architect behind it i mean you i i feel like you hear that song you know just it's, it's somehow been continually synced in, in commercials or tv shows or even just like kind of the melody is like i don't know almost like one of the ones that you feel like a lot of people in in high school talent shows or like high school like choir like no it's just like a very standard might be too sort of generous a word or maybe that you know or too you mean right here waiting right yeah yeah, yeah. even if you don't know you know it you know it all right, so uh, Richard Marks last week, Lori McKenna this week. Again, she's coming up as our special guest, uh, Taylor Weatherby from uh, the Billboard Editorial Department. She's going to join us on that interview coming up, too. But first, this week's Billboard Hot 100's Top 10. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. God's plan. God's plan. Number 10. I can't do this on my own. Hey, no. Someone watching this shit close, yeah, close. I've been me since Scarlet Road, ay, bro, ay. Damn, I ain't going psycho. Little mama bad like Michael. Can't really Number trust nine. nobody with all this jewelry on you. My roof look like a no-show. Got diamonds by the bolo. Come with the Tony Romo for clowns and all. Number eight. Number five. Number four. Number three. Maybe it's 6.45, maybe I'm better. Hey, 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 h
number one. All right, last week we saw Drake make his return to number one, and he's not going anywhere this week. That is In My Feelings once again, number one this week on the Billboard Hot 100. Of course, as everybody knows, In My Feelings, driven by the incredibly huge viral dance, which seemed to be extinct for a while there, but has been revived in 2018. In particular, this one thanks to Shiggy, who started off that dance craze for In My Feelings, and I mean it's blown up ever since. Plenty of celebrities are doing it. In the past couple of weeks, I think Will Smith has had really one of the best ones. In Budapest, he was on top of the chain bridge, got a little drone out. Like, you could see the whole city landscape. If you haven't seen the clip, it's actually pretty sick. Check that one out. He was getting shiggy with it. <gasps> okay, all right. The man has never met a pun he couldn't, he, he couldn't enjoy. Uh, yeah, but Will Smith has done it. Ciara, Russell Wilson... Um, I've done it as well. Um, I mean, Odell Beckham Jr. did one of the early ones. I mean, everybody's doing it at this point. And because everybody's doing it, that means that song is getting a lot of online action. And the streams are getting huge. How huge? We're talking record-breaking huge. This week, In My Feelings, posts 116 million streams for the week is that right yeah 116 million so that's the biggest week that our friends at nielsen music have ever recorded for any song that even outdoes the almighty harlem shake back in uh, 2013 everyone remembers how big that was thanks to similar circumstance obviously all the clips of everybody you know the swim team doing it underwater the whoever whichever everybody to the harlem shake don't act like you didn't try it because you know you did but In My Feelings has surpassed that. Uh, and of course, we've really seen Drake be a monster with streaming really throughout every step of his career. But particularly this year, it just feels like it's taken on a whole new level. Just when you thought Drake really couldn't get any bigger. Yeah. I mean, this is by far got to be his biggest career year. We've seen, you know, God's Plan and obviously uh, and Nice For What. I mean, both of those had huge music videos as well. But In My Feelings... Um, you know, not Drake's music video that may be coming, but again, videos are just making making these numbers balloon like crazy. Yeah, when you think of what he already did with God's Plan, eleven weeks at number one, and the Nice for What, and and now uh, this, or really, I guess, uh, getting into the conversation about halfway through the year is is this the greatest year ever for any artist ever on the Hot 100? It's only July, but look what he's done so far, and now adds this record this week. Uh, maybe. I mean, that's I guess it's a really tough thing to to drill down i mean because i guess there's a lot of ways you can look at it but i mean if it's not the almighty one i'm sure people will think all the way back to well Beatles 64 when right. they you know exploded or or even some of the bg's years or th- things like that but it's got to make the short list that is without a doubt and uh, like you said we're not even done yet there's supposedly in my feelings an actual video from drake coming right. and we're not sure if it might incorporate the challenge in some way or, or not but you know, I mean, we're we're just locked and loaded, and we still have, I mean, what, 20 more Scorpion tracks to pick from? This is not over yet. All right. Uh, from all that to an artist who actually jokes that, uh, she, totally joking that she'll have a dance album at some point, because she is a uh, total uh, Americana folk singer-songwriter that's uh, been her sound for a long time. And actually, in recent years, she's having some of her biggest uh, successes uh, ever so far. So I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, Lori McKenna uh, wrote... Tim McGraw's Humble and Kind, number one hit on uh, Billboard's country charts. Uh, Girl Crush, Little Big Town, huge uh, number one country hit as well. Her current hit uh, that she co-wrote with Carrie Underwood and uh, other writers that we'll talk about coming up, uh, Cry Pretty for Carrie Underwood. So Laurie McKenna has become uh, really one of the premier uh, writers of country hits, along with her own music that she's been releasing. Her latest album, again, is The Tree, is released uh, last Friday, July 20th. So uh, you heard the first single at the start of the podcast, People Get Old. Uh, Another song is coming up, but we're going to talk to Laurie now Uh, on the podcast. We're to bring in taylor weatherby from the billboard edit department huge uh, country fan writes a lot of our uh, country stories on uh, billboard.com so uh, yeah really excited to have uh, Lori, Lori mckenna our special guest on this week's billboard sharpie podcast People get old. 
Thanks for having me. You were just saying uh, you've been in a, a van for the last few hours. You came in from from uh, Boston last yeah, night. Yeah, we had the Boston CD release show last night, so we drove in early this morning. And um, I haven't been in the middle of a minivan van for f- four hours in a while, so it was it was good. It's a good way to spend the morning. <laughs> so I'm happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll wake you up after yeah, a, a, whole, you. a whole long drive. <laughs> I'm probably going to uh, alienate uh Trevor and Taylor a little bit at first, but uh, you're from Stoughton, Massachusetts. Right. I'm from Braintree. We probably played each other in football at some point. Yeah, right? well, I'm sure I, Gary was, I, was on the team. Thank you for you thinking know. I could be a football player, <laughs> quarterbacking and all. Uh, yeah, there's not much of a of a country scene in in Massachusetts. You would think there's a big folk scene with the uh, Passim right. and in Cambridge, but uh, did that influence you at all growing up? Whether the folk scene in Boston, or you just uh, just happened to be that's where you're from and songwriting, songwriting. Well, I. I mean, I sort of came up, I guess, in the folk scene there. But Boston, as you know, has a really good live music scene. Um, And my songs sort of, you know, are more domesticated or or sort of stay in that simple mode. And I think that lends itself to country music. So when I ended up sort of involved in country music, it was through a publishing deal, writing songs. Um, But I didn't grow up on on country music. But there's a huge scene in Boston. We have two country radio stations. And so there's a lot of it now. But I think, you know, 12 years ago, when I started doing that side of what I do, it wasn't so there wasn't so much of it. And you go to Nashville a lot, right? I do about twice a month. Yeah. All right. You guys can chime in because Taylor, you go to Nashville. Trevor, you went to school there. No more Massachusetts. (laughs) (laughs) No more lobster rolls. Well, I feel like your voice like tends to country, though. It's like, I mean, not that you need to alienate yourself into one genre, but I feel like mm-hmm. it works so flawlessly. Did you not really like see that when you were starting out songwriting? Did you think that country would be something that you'd pursue? I didn't think of it really, um, honestly, in that way. I think the way that my my voice is sort of um, unique, you know, sort of in a way, but. Um, when I first started recording, like the first records I made is when I really realized how bad my accent was. And the producer would come back and be like, do you know that you don't pronounce any of your R's? Or like, and I was like, R's? What are, you know, like my accent, like if you go back and listen, I really had to learn how to, how to pronounce all my words. And I had to learn via singing. So I sort of have developed a little bit of a southern twang singing now because that's how I learned to I couldn't figure out how to make the words all make sense to people <laughs> unless I got out of my Stoughton accent. I think I had a pretty solid Stoughton accent. I'm not going sure on. I've ever heard a Boston accent or like a Massachusetts accent in a song before. It's like how like, British people don't sound British when yeah, they sing. Yeah. I think I may <laughs> she, she found the lane. She originated the Boston country scene. Yeah. No, I <laughs> but it just sort of, you know, it's like evolved over, over time. But when I started traveling, it was really, it re- I didn't know that everybody didn't talk like, you know, like we do in Boston until I started going a little... West of here, you know. That so, is so funny. It's crazy. Well, now I'm trying to. Now I'm trying to find a, a title that you've written that would have like car in it or something. I'm, I know. I I'm stay away the, from words. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's why I say That's kitchen. There's no R's in that word at all. <laughs> um, you started professionally songwriting. Was age 27 when you already had three kids and you were married. I know you'd been writing before then, but yeah. Uh, was there a process that took uh, yeah maybe a little bit longer than you might have expected? Well, I did. I just didn't think I would do it. I just didn't know, you know, how to. I didn't really grow up with people that were musicians. I have two brothers that are songwriters, but they're like, you know, wrote, wrote songs at home and you know weren't sharing them really with the world. So um, I just never thought I would really have the opportunity to do it. And so when I when I think I started open mics when I was around twenty seven, twenty eight, and when I got out and I saw a piece of that Boston music scene and how nurturing it is and and really it's it's a great little world and and you know we played Boston last night and I told the audience like if I didn't start there I don't know if I would have ever left my house because it because it really confidence the confidence at that point but there was not a lot of confidence going on <laughs> like could I really do this or is this something that other people will want to hear I wasn't sure and um so it really took the audiences in Boston to sort of um give me the confidence that I needed to just keep going and keep I knew I loved writing songs but I didn't know anybody would like to hear them you don't know that necessarily <laughs> is songwriting one of those things you know for artists in particular 
you almost can't be an artist without listening to other artists, getting influenced by them, hearing mm-hmm. what's out there. For songwriting for you, was that something that you developed on your own and something that you just really personally owned? Or did you hear other songwriters, hear that uh, some other influences around the time that influenced your decision to start writing? Yeah, well, I grew up on singer-songwriters, you know, like James, T- well, I would say like James Taylor was like Elvis and, you know, in my house, like Jesus and James Taylor is how we grew up. And, <laughs> side um, by side. <laughs> yeah, it's just like Neil Young and Carol King and Carly Simon, and I grew up with that music. And and I knew, I guess, my via my brothers would, t- you know, like the guy singing this wrote this song, you know, like from a very young age. And um, and that's always really what I was drawn to is that type of music. Um, so I started writing songs when I was 13 because that was my vehicle of like, you know, expressing emotions rather than like a diary or a journal like a lot of people have. And I was and I had no intention of sharing ever because I didn't think I could. So I wrote songs for years that nobody would, I thought nobody would ever hear. So I, my editing process, I think, is a little different than some people's because of all those years of, of just writing songs just for myself. It's a very selfish way of songwriting. Did that lull at all while you were like dealing with young kids? No, I actually started writing more when my kids really? were little because I was home, and I would, I would. Uh, my sort of schedule was different then because I would write a lot when I was putting them, I would sing them to sleep and then I would just sit in their room, you know what I mean? And um, on the floor, you know, and um, <laughs> and I probably started writing much more once I had once I had the kids. My kids were a big part of like my whole story because I don't think I would have ever stepped out of my house with music if I didn't have my kids already to sort like I knew where my heart was so I knew if I if I did step out with music and everyone's like you're terrible (laughs) go back home I wouldn't have you know it wouldn't have you know broken me in half because I had so much already at home with those babies so would you ever put those older songs on an album there's something you thought was so good you wrote when you were 18 19 and you know, maybe this would fit on my new album, or is it? This is who you are now, so you're only going to put newer songs. I always wonder when artists have these huge back catalogs that maybe people haven't heard some of these songs. What do you do with some of those? Well, usually, though, ah, it'd be, it'd be, I'd have to go back and listen. It's hard for me to. I always want to write another song because I love song the songwriting piece so much. Like my friends get mad at me; they're like, "Let's record this one," and I'm like, "Can't we just write another one?" Like I always want to move forward. And they, you know, a songwriter's favorite song is usually the last one they wrote, and that's kind of how that goes. But so songs are tough for me. Like we um, at meet and greet and stuff. Sometimes we'll play an older song from from my catalog that I I almost literally have to relearn because people will ask me to play it. I'm like, that one? It's so old and. So I'm always wanting it. It is hard for me to sort of go back to that stuff and, and listen. When it's hot, eat a root beer, popsicle. Shut off the AC and roll the windows down. Let the summer sun shine. Always stay humble and kind. I feel like you're really known for your storytelling and your detail. And does that that just come natural or do you write a song and, and go back and say, you know, I need something a little more specific to put in here. And I started with the Americana convention in 2016 in Nashville and you were on a panel with, uh, I think it was Radney Foster. Mm-hmm. You guys were talking about songwriting and uh, the term furniture came yeah. up in songs of how uh, those are the little things you, you put in songs that really, I guess the more detailed the song becomes, the more uh, universal it is. And, you know, I go back to uh, Root Bear Popsicle and Humble yeah. and Kind. It's it's just something that uh, it's so specific, but everyone can kind of relate to it. Is that when you write, do those things just pop into your head or do you go back and say, you know, I think I need a little something uh, more specific? Well, usually when in writing, when we get there, we'll, and I think furniture is like a little bit of a national term now, like a co-writer will say, we need Let's throw some furniture. Or let's keep it like the first verse has more furniture. Let's let's throw some more furniture back in here, which sounds like such a funny term, but it is and it is you know a metaphor, but it's also like literal too. Like sometimes I think it's really um, a great way to paint a picture is to show you what the room looks like, so the listener can sort of either place themselves there or finish the rest of the story, and I think those little details. Um, you know, when you string them together, allows the listener to, you could see it one way and I could see it a different way. And then you could see, like, it allows the listener to sort of be more involved 
in what in in their version of what's happening in the song. And I don't think I did that like I thought that when I was 13 or something. I think I just always was, you know, they always say write what you know. So it's like I did, you know, I'm not like a worldly person person, so I'm always like writing about what's I always write about the kitchen because so much takes place there. We do we have so many, you know, conversations and things that happen to us standing in our kitchen. So I think I that I've over the years I've grown to sort of love that sort of trick in songwriting and sort of like drawing out the picture and letting the listener place themselves. And going back to starting songwriting so young and now and then going professional with it at 27, how did you end up like forming your craft on your own? Like how did you become a songwriter and actually feel confident in what you were writing? You know what I mean? Like how were yeah. you writing these songs and actually feeling like they were something? Well, that's what that's part was part of my my journey too is that that confidence you know it's it was it started you know it was a really slow walk really to get to the point where I could share songs with people and I wrote by myself for so long and it wasn't until I had a publishing deal that um that I started co-writing so by that point I was I think 34 it's before I ever co-wrote a song. So I had all those years of just doing it alone. Once I started co-writing, I really discovered that I in, I love that process. I love sort of bouncing off another person, um, an idea. And I'm, I guess it's because I'm the youngest of six kids, but I'm not sort of like, um, if, I, if I know something isn't right, but I think that I might, if I say it out loud wrong, you might it might make you think of the right thing. So I guess I'm not like embarrassed about being like, this is dumb, but could it be this? And then, you know, your co-writer would be like, oh no, but that is dumb, but <laughs> this is right. And then it gets you there. Like I sort of like, I learned to, to write. Um, I spent so many years alone co-writing, even though it was later on, it was at 34. I learned to write so much more once I started co-writing. So when you were on your own writing these songs, what were you using to kind of help you grow as a songwriter what do you think it was that helped you kind of hone in on what you actually wanted to say and you know yeah if you don't have people to bounce off of like what were you how are you doing that it was probably a lot of self-absorbed things that nobody really would want to hear now and it was probably a lot of stealing from you know movies and books and things like like the way we tell stories now is just like sort of like stealing those little pieces of people's lives and and trying to make a whole little three-minute story out of it so sure. as a songwriter, um, I feel like with any creative art, you can always kind of tinker with it and toy with it just forever and ever. How do you know when a song is done? Yeah, I'm not, I, I don't tinker that much. I'm like, I'm sort of like, I have friends that will go back like for a month and go back and like rewrite lines and things like that. And I'm always like, well, let's just write a different song <laughs> if we don't. I'm not very good at it. At, going back and editing things once once like once the moment is over and I have the song I I will sit there until and sometimes if I'm by myself it is a couple of days but for the most part I will sit there for a day and and get it structured down and I'll if I can't get it I'll I will put it aside I almost never go back to those things um but I'm not I'm not um I'm not that precious about it I don't think I th- sort of think it's three and a half minutes, and I didn't get it right in this song, so I'll just try it again and and try to get it right in the next one. And I just, I, I don't know. I, I think um, if I was sort of more trying to be more perfect about it, I would probably be in trouble. <laughs> I'd probably make myself crazy. Huh. That's, I, I never thought of it. Like, I always assumed it would be, you know, I, I guess especially when, if you know it's, it's supposed to be a major record on a major label, you'd kind of want to toy with it. But I like that it just you either really feel it or you don't. And, you know, if, yeah. if this isn't no, the one, we can start over, not, you know. Because, yeah. you know, I feel like if, for so many people, especially in pop music, they think that if it's going to be a big top 40 song, it has to be, you know, we have to figure out this exact word. We have to sort of put yeah. this science, almost like refrigerator magnets, and put it together. It's just great to know that, you know, and the flip side, in the country sphere especially, you know, you can have these same major hits that are, you know, critically, commercially adored mm-hmm. that can actually just be organic. And maybe we didn't get it right this first time. We don't have to sit here and... It's got to work. It's got to work. Yeah. You know, that's great. I'm really not that good. I, sometimes a co-writer will be a little bit more that way. Mm-hmm. And that those are like so, sometimes hard days, but they're really fun days. Like I always say, like every co-write I've ever had, like maybe I didn't get the best song out of it, but I always learn something, whether it's something you learn about 
your de- my own deficiencies as a writer or something I have to grow at or, or, or learn something about music, you know, in the, and sometimes I will end up with somebody that is sort of sees it more mathematically than I do say. And those are always fun days. Cause then, then I get so much out of it by just seeing the way their brain works. Cause mine is sort of working the opposite. I read that, uh, you always start off usually trying to start with the title of the song. Mm. How, where do those titles come from? I think that's a very interesting place to start. Like most people might start with with the hook or, or something, but yeah. you you have an idea for the title. Those are used like humble and kind. I had the title first, and um, girl crush, which was not like Hillary. I gave, I said that title, and Hillary Lindsay sang the first four lines of that song. So I didn't come up with the concept. I just had the title, but I do like titles like starting with titles, especially in co-write situations, because it's kind of like, it's the first line's always the hardest, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like breaking the ice, like, let's start here. Um, but they can kind of come from an- anywhere, and um, like I always tease and say, you know, if you're dealing with a songwriter, <laughs> you can kind of see a look on a songwriter's face if you say something, and then they like check, they have to check their phone yeah. mm. or something, like yeah. that's, they're probably writing down Got what you just little, said, yeah. so just... <laughs> speaker that little glossy like i have to um just check my phone for a second and then <laughs> do you have like a list of like working titles yeah you wanna... i think every songwriter if you like pick up their phone there's like a note with like millions of you know or sometimes it'll be written down on a piece of paper but everyone sort of has that running list i think careful when you're talking to yeah. a songwriter they're gonna take <laughs> something we say it's gonna be in the top 40 hit yeah right if, if it's another songwriter and, and what you like you know like we'll be like we should write that but if it's you know what songwriters my husband courtesy. says it it's all mine you know yeah. <laughs> hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Let's go song by song. By you're at three of your biggest hits. I really just want to dig into each one. We're talking about "Humble and Kind," Grammy Award winner for best song, uh, 2017. Where do you keep the Grammy? Always got to ask. Oh, it's actually on um, the piano in our living room. So. Oh. Does it have a "Do Not Touch" little thing by it? No, so no. People that come by. Don't <laughs> I was gonna say no pressure for the guests who just yeah. want to play along. You know. <laughs> no, it's it's it. They're pretty good. Everyone's pretty good about it. You know they drank champagne out of it and all that stuff so they they don't Mike I can't impress my children at all or their friends they're like they're, they could care less Grammy whatever yeah whatever are they not country fans no they are they love music it's just that it's me so <laughs> <laughs> They have to know that their mom is like way more badass than so many moms out there. Like, moms are all great, but you have a Grammy. I'm so telling you, not, not just one. Not just one. Right. Maybe it's because the second one. Yeah. yeah. yeah mom, is McKenna won another Grammy. Cool. Great. Uh, did you write that song at your dining room in Stone? I did. Yeah. yeah. So it just popped into your head. The title came first and the whole idea. How did it come about? Yeah, it just was, um, you know, I dropped the kids off at school and I came back home and if I'm by myself a lot of times I will stay my writing room is in my basement but I'll stay just in the in the dining room and hang out and do laundry in between (laughs) uh, verses and and things um and that was just came from a list of things I was thinking like you know I have to make sure I tell my kids all these things and 
thinking about the things that my husband and I would would both want to make sure they know. Um, you know, we left this morning, and um, and I have all these sticky notes that I leave. Uh, you know, like put the dishes in the dishwasher and stuff like that. And um, my friend Marcarelli is traveling. My guitar player and um, and dear friend band leader is traveling. He came in the house and he saw all the sticky notes. It's like there they are. So I always write all these things down when I'm traveling, and nobody nobody sees the notes. I get home and they're like, "Oh, did you leave a note?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's right there." Oh, I didn't see it. So I figured I'm just going to write it all down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it has to be pretty cool for you as someone who started out writing by yourself for so long Mm -hmm. to now have a song that's so iconic that you wrote by yourself because you have, you know, your team of songwriters and and all the people that you've collaborated with. But now you have a song that is so well known that you wrote by yourself. Did that feel pretty full circle for you? Yeah. I mean, that song has just been such a blessing to all of us, you know, in my family. And and the kids knew it was their song. And I still see it as this little it's a very simple song. Everything rhymes with the word kind. It's like a three chord progression. It's, you know, it's very even the words obviously my youngest was 10 at the time so it's like you think of all the things you repeat over and over again to little kids like hold the door I say please so it's like there's so much just simplicity in that song I saw it as such a like a little prayer for them to carry around and then when Tim McGraw got it he just saw it as such a bigger picture and it still blows my mind you know it's still like I still see it differently than he he does but I think it's amazing that he had the ability and the talent to do to to just make it in into such a big moment um, in, in all of our lives, really. It's got to be crazy to see a song that you wrote and that means so much to you personally be performed by one of the biggest country acts, you know, and like yeah. seeing him connect. You said he took it in a way that you didn't even imagine. So it's like yeah. it's got to be really cool to see someone like that and just any singer that takes a song that you wrote apply their story to it and then see how it impacts people outside of like your control you know yeah it's a it's it's kind of hard to even describe the feeling i have this picture that my friend becky fluke took um because i opened one of the soul soul to soul shows last summer in boston and so all my family was there in one of those you know boxes watching the show and when tim um you know, I made sure that I was up there with them when when Tim sang "Humble and Kind," and um, and Becky took this picture of just all of us, you know, just like holding each other, listening um, to the song. And it's really, you know, I the my there's so much pride for me in that song, but also just the fact that the my the biggest blessing is that my kids really know. Sorry, <laughs> that is their song. Yeah. That's really sweet. Now you get me crying. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't mean for that to happen. <laughs> See, they think Sorry. you're cool. No, I don't know. <laughs> I got a girl crush. Hate to admit it, but I got a heart rush. It's slowing down. Let's talk about Girl Crush. Uh, Little Big Town, your first Grammy Award winner, which you wrote uh, with Liz Rose and Hillary Lindsay. So right. different, uh, different dynamic for that. Uh, I think at this point, its legacy is that it's sort of become this controversial kind of a song in, in Nashville. It didn't go to number one in the country airplay chart. It was a huge number one on the sales streaming airplay uh, chart mm-hmm. overall. But uh, there were a lot of stories at the time about how country radio was a little nervous, some stations about playing it. Did people misinterpret it? What's your what's your take on all of this? Yeah, it's so funny watching that song, you know, from the minute it came to life. Um, so like I said a little bit earlier was I had that title in my phone, you know, with all my titles. And I said it to Hillary and Liz. And um, I said, hey, I want to write a song called Girl Crush. And Hillary had a guitar in her lap. And she sang the first four lines of the song. Um and she said, you mean like that? And I looked, <laughs> I looked at Liz and we were like, yeah, sure, that's what we mean. But we, there was, so th- honest to God, there was no discussion. Like there wasn't like, I think it should be conceptually like this. And we can, you know, sort of, um, there was no discussion. The song 
came out of, like I always say, it came out of her face <laughs> just like that. And she always laughs at me because obviously it came out of her mouth. But it just like came out of her body in that form. And I always say like songs sometimes know better than we do. We think we have an idea for a song or we have a title, but we don't know what it means. And sometimes if you give it that moment and you just give it that time to to have a voice, it sounds weird, but they they really will guide you if you follow them if you follow closely along and that one just I wish so I wish so much I had a video or a recording of that moment because that's exactly what happened and um and it was really it was really an example of a magical moment in in a co-writing experience um so once that was our those four lines you know form where that song's going to go and we just chased it in until it was done and we knew um, it was weird. We didn't know if it made a hundred percent sense because sometimes when you're in a room writing a song, you you we all know what we're talking about, but will a listener be able to come in and get it right away? So we sent it to Liz's son Scott Ponce, who's her publisher, um, and he's like, "I totally get it." So we knew one guy got it. <laughs> we're like, "Okay, it makes sense enough." And then later on that day, Karen Fairchild and Kimberly Schlappman showed up. At like 11 a.m. and they said what have you been writing and we we were like well we wrote this and um and they they really did know right away that they wanted it the controversy the radio you know I don't think it was ever going to be a single when they were cutting it I don't think that song was like cut to be a single um but then when the when people heard the record they were talking about the song and then I think just maybe in in Nashville that sort of you know, sort of like we had writers, other writers texting us and being like, that song's so cool. Like that twist is like, like somebody hasn't, you know, it hasn't been done yet. That's so, it's so hard to find something that hadn't been done yet. And it really, it found us. Like we didn't really find it. It kind of found us and, or it found Hillary anyway. And, um, and so when, when they did release it as a single and that whole talk about, can we play this on the radio? For us, it was really like, honestly, a two day problem where we didn't know, if people understood it. Um, and then there was talk about, well, maybe they'll have to pull it from radio. But it sort of cleared itself up r- really quickly. And it kind of became more about um, sort of what are we playing, a little bit more of a radio discussion than it did about a lyrical song. Like to me as a writer, my if I had an argument for that, it would be like, why are we not listening to a whole song anymore? Why do we only listen to a verse and a chorus right. and think we know that song? Um, and maybe we do have to listen to the whole songs before we we judge them. Right, a lot it, of it seemed to, on, on people not understanding. The yeah, words. they just weren't listening to the whole thing, perhaps. And so, um, so it's funny because there was a lot of different little pieces to it, but it sort of all cleared itself up over um, a couple of days. And then we saw the the Nashville community really come together, like they made the hats and the girl crush hats were everywhere, and our songwriter peers and friends were. You know, try, we're standing up for the song that they, you know, that they believed in, and Little Big Town and their team, of course, were amazing. And um, that was it was it was a little bit of a moment, a hiccup in a beautiful story of us. You know, when you have a song like that, you really spend the year with that song because then there's award shows and watching the band, you know, perform it, and um, and it's it's still it's it's a great experience for me because it was my first time at the Grammys and I got to experience it with Liz and Hillary who some of my dearest friends and we love Little Big Town so much so and then you won so your first and time then at we the went Grammys, home with the Grammys. Like, well this is what the Grammys are like <laughs> right yeah well it was funny because that day so we wrote that at like eight thirty in the morning and um. And then Karen and Kimberly came over at 11. We wrote three other songs with them that day. So the five, the five of us wrote three other songs that day. And there was a moment in that day where I was looking around the room and I realized with Liz Rose and Hillary Lindsay, Karen Fairchild, Kimberly Schlappman, that I was the only one that didn't have a Grammy. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know why I thought that. But I'm like looking at the ball and I'm like, I'm the only one here without a Grammy. Like, I felt so sorry for myself. And can't, no, had no reference to Girl Crush at all. Karen Fairchild said, Laurie McKenna, we're going to get you a Grammy. No way. I swear that to God. That the coolest thing. She did. It you was such have, a day. A you should have tested them and been like, Girl Crush, go. <laughs> what, what does that sound like to you? Because Hillary just made it seem so easy. I know. I know. <laughs> it was just a great moment. And we wrote Tumble and Fall that day, which they recorded. And I think maybe we were in that land, you know, like, let's get this. And this will, you know. 
But it, she did. They made it happen. So Well, and I want to go on a little bit of a tangent because the co-writers on that song are Hillary Lindsay and Liz Rose, who are the love junkies. And I feel like a lot of people that aren't in the country community don't really know. If you were to tell them the love junkies, like, what is that? But mm-hmm. in the country community, it's like, holy crap, the like, most iconic <laughs> women team uh, like in country. So how did you guys first meet and... How did you kind of decide that you wanted to form this little trio or like that you knew that you worked together so well? Just kind of the background of the Love Junkies and where the name came from. You know, I I don't know where the name. I think I was in the bathroom when the name started. But um, it's we came together because um, Liz Rose was one of the first people I ever co-wrote. She was she sort of was one of one of the early writers that taught me how to co-write songs. So when I started coming to Nashville, um, and I still do. I I would stay with her. I just stay at her house, and she, you know, just became a fast friend as soon as I met her. And she was one of the first people I met in that town. And um, and Hillary, I had written with just the two of us over the years. And Liz had written with her. I think they have a Taylor Swift song together. You know what I mean? Like she had written. They had written together. But the three of us hadn't written together. So our publishers decided. Oh, we should just have them write for three days at a time because Laurie comes in for three days at a time. She stays at Liz's so they can just write. Just instead of breaking up the days, just put the three of them together for the three days. And the first song we wrote together was Sober, which Little Big Town cut. And there was some sort of rhyme scenario that was happening in the where we had a rhyme with something that junky. I don't know, like a like it came up somehow in the writing of that song and I think it was Liz was like we should have a name and you know and so Love Junkies was our but we were kidding around you know just totally joking around Um, but by that point you know but each time we'd get together like every other month and we'd write so many songs like some trips would in three days would write nine songs you know what I mean or eight songs and we had so many songs and then um, together as a little team it just became (laughs) just call ourselves instead of writing all three names across the top of the paper it just became easier to call ourselves the love junkies um and we do, we love each other, and we 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 write from the minute we wake up in the morning until one of us falls asleep. And those are like songwriter sleepovers, is what I heard that yeah. you guys call them, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's uh, there's wine sometimes involved, which is fun because because I'm the one with the computer. Like I have to have everything in front of me written down, and the the two of them are more like every everything's just in like Hillary can remember the whole song just in the air as you're writing, which blows my mind, but she can. And Liz has a notebook, and so she's writing things, but not really the whole thing. And and we write so much sometimes that the next morning, Liz will wake up and say, what did we do yesterday? And I'll start taking, I'm like, we did this. She's like, really? You're like the group secretary. I like, <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm like, I'm trying to earn my keep. Like, if I'm not going to have magic come through me the way Hillary can, I better write it all down. So did the weekend that you guys wrote Girl Crush together feel like more, not special, but just like, did it feel like there was something in the air or something? Well, anytime we're with Karen and Kimberly, we kind of we always have a, we always have a great time anyway. But when we're with, they're kind of like our extra love junkies. You know what I mean? So when that was just a great day anyway. And we, I, I think we wrote that day until one o'clock in the morning. Like we just like you know sometimes it's like if you know there's nothing else going on and you're just in this house together with guitars and food and and wine and everyone's talking about everything that's going on in their lives. Like those are always great days anyway yeah. <laughs> but sometimes in the morning I'll be like did you remember we started this one and we're like oh god <laughs> are you ever able to sort of like turn this the songwriting machine off like if you go on vacation or something and but you you, know, you get inspired by something are you like oh like I don't want to I didn't want to think about it and work but like I have to because I just saw this this story or this image or this title came to me or something that's just always going I don't think that you ever want to try to turn it off I mean the bigger problem would be like if you just don't have any ideas right to write about so I think like any writer is probably always trying to keep a little bit of a log of things that they want to write about someday Um, but I don't write every day like a lot of my friends in Nashville will they write every day and I've I have gotten to the point where like okay I cannot write a song today like I need today to just be a, a regular day without trying to rhyme words but for the most part I don't write as 
that often. I only like maybe try to sit down two or three times a week to write. So, and I might not get a song. Like sometimes I check every guitar in my house, and there's just not a song there. Um, so I don't really ever get to the point where I just can't write another one. You know, um, and I think it's because I I don't live in Nashville. I live in Boston. If I lived in Nashville, I would want to write a song every day because there's so many songwriters there. And um, and I think then I would get to the point where I would need a break, you know what I mean, just from over overwriting. But I, I really don't overwrite. Um, I might not write enough. I don't know. I, I, but I haven't hit that wall yet. <laughs> I, I love that, that line. I, I checked every guitar in my house, and sometimes there's not a song there. I, I, yeah. love, I love how you, you literally have to find it. That's great. Yeah, because sometimes one it. guitar might have it, but the the you know and like they sound differently. I can't play the piano either, but I will sit down at the piano. on desperate days. I will <laughs> sit down at the piano. We just need a title for that. Then it becomes a song. Check know, every guitar. Right. Is that, is that the title? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is how it starts. Right. See, I w- well, I just want co-writing credit, and we're good. You know. <laughs> We don't have Grammys either, so we fail. Yeah, right. Not just you. Work on this together. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you keep the Girl Crush Grammy? Is that on the piano as well? So yeah, they're all on the the piano together with the CMAs and the ACMs. Yeah, I I just put them all. They they want to be together. (laughs) Okay, okay. I have this one more Grammy question because I am. Since you won back to back years, did you expect that you could win the second year? Did you think that? Oh, I just won last year. They're not going to give it to me again. Or did you kind of know going in based on the reception of the song and and all I, the attention it got? I don't think you can ever really know with something like that. The Grammys are such a it's it's you know sort of a different world than like the Nashville you know award show world. It's like it's everything you know all genres of music. So it's a really different um, award show. But yeah, I think that in in cases like that, you um, you have to you have to be prepared just in case so you don't like, you know, you have to have something in your brain, but you, I I always, you know, I was up for four Grammys that year and I lost three of them. So, I mean, I I knew there was going to be losing something was going to go in with that, but that humble and kind was up against die a happy man, which was the biggest song of the year. So I really didn't know. I, uh, I don't even know what I said when I got up there to be honest, because it was, it's still, um, crazy to me that that any of this has happened (laughs) do you feel like an impact on the types of rooms you're getting in for songwriting like co-writes or anything since winning a grammy like the the first grammy or maybe even having two to your name do you feel like it's changed your career at all i think that like the those songs you know like when you have the the song like people might like because we always say like well it's been discussed and looking back you remember the songs that are sort of nominated in that category more so like the ones that win you know what I mean like kind of like if you've been nominated that's amazing you know um so I think it's really more um rather than trophies sitting on a piano somewhere it's really you know sort of your your catalog of work that the the more you you go on and when you have a song that works like that or when you have a song that breaks through like Girl Crush it's like um, people know know you for that, and um, and also just Nashville is a very loyal town, and also just like being part of the community and them knowing that you know that you when you show up, you you know you're there to to write, and it, and you know what I mean. That's a big part of it. The the um, the personal side of co writing is is really important to the Nashville community. Is a really big-hearted community where you can't just like you couldn't be not a nice person and make it very far there you go there's the lesson sorry i had to i've been like waiting for that moment (laughs) 40 minutes in she got it she got it All right, the other song we wanted to ask is a current hit. It's your fifth top five hit on Billboard's Hot Country Songs chart. As a writer, uh, Cry Pretty by Carrie Underwood. Yeah. Uh, with the Love Junkies. Yay. With the Love Junkies. And yeah. Carrie Underwood and co-wrote Carrie. it as well. Was that yeah. the, What was it like writing with Carrie on this a specific song? 
Yeah, so we can't. That was a day, a love junkie day, um, where we were all at Liz's house, and um, and Carrie came up to write with us. So she and I and I think that to your question earlier, like I think that's an example of her knowing the songs that we had written as a team, sort of together, and her saying, "Oh, I I, I want to do, I want to write with the love junkies. I'll just do what instead of them coming to me or whatever how she normally writes or us going to a studio, I'll just go up to Liz's house like everybody else does." And um, and that was, we wrote a few songs that, well, it was a two-day session, and um, I think we wrote maybe three songs or four songs, but that was the first one we wrote. Um, and that was my first time writing with Carrie. We've been, a, she cut a Love Junkie song on her last record, and we got to sing with her um, a couple of years ago, and she's been great to us. Um, and obviously, Hillary is such a big part of Carrie's world because she wrote Jesus Take the Wheel, and she's had so many Carrie cuts, um, and they work together so well. Um, that that was a great day for me, well, just spending, getting to know Carrie a little bit better, but also, for I love the days where you have um, an artist in the room watching w- one of your co-writers sort of click with that artist, and that's when I sort of like to, like... That's when I'm trying to steal ideas, like to learn, like what's the best way to write with an artist. And I've, like, when Barry Dean's in the room with me and an artist, I'm always like watching Barry to see his little tricks of how, you know, you your job is to get out to get the best song. Now the artist is in the room, and they it, so it has to sort of come. It has to come from that source because if if the four of us are sitting together and I write a song about my husband, and we write a song about my husband, it's not going to mean as much to the artist. That's you know, it really has to come from that source. And so watching co-writers that are really good at bringing the best out of a big artist like that is really a fun day. And um, and we we just we just had a ball, and she was she. Um, Carrie's such she's so beautiful and she's such a great singer and you always see her on TV and everything's just so perfect about her um, and I'd only been around her during like TV performances award shows things like that um, I think I had written with her one other time and um, it was just great to have like a girl day hanging out with Carrie <laughs> talking about Whole Foods and stuff and and her kid you know it, it was like she wanted to be uh, with us in that day and that of just like really talking about our husbands and whatever our kids and all that and it was just like another girl sitting in the room except she could sing like <laughs> and then that song came and um and it was um we didn't know it you know you never know if they're gonna cut it um strangely enough a few months later it, we were at Liz's house again the three of us, just me and Liz and Hillary, and Hillary looks at her phone. She said, oh, Carrie just called me. Like, um, I'll call her back. And we're like, no, answer the phone. Get the phone. And she's like, no, I'll call her back. It's weird. I'm not going to answer it. Like, we're writing. And uh, and then she texts Hillary, and she said, call me when you can. And so we're like, just take a break and call her back. And so we hear Hillary in the other room, and she said, oh, yeah, I'm with them right now. And Carrie said, put me on speaker. So Carrie knew we were together, the three of us together, and she waited to tell us that, um, it was like a nice surprise. So she waited till the three of us were together, and she got on speakerphone and said, "Cry Pretty is going to be the first single." That's when you know so, you made it as a songwriter when you can ignore a call from Carrie Underwood and call her later. <laughs> well, yeah, that, isn't that a great example of a co-writer like just like owning the song? She's like, "I'll call her back later. It's okay. We're writing a song." And I think Carrie would appreciate that about Hillary. But um, but yeah, that was so sweet. You know, like she waited and until somebody said, "Oh, well, lo- they're love doing Love Junkies." You know, next week you should, you know, tell them then. And she called us and let us. We were like, fr- we were shocked. We just didn't know. You know. So that, it felt like a. a oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. So it felt like a true collaboration with Carrie, where her yeah, oh her, yeah, uh, she's all over that. She's song. a great writer. She's she she um, she's a great writer, and um, and I had known that from my friends that write a lot with her, like that have been with her since the beginning of her writing time. You know, like that she's grown so much as a writer, and um, and you know. Liz and Hillary are among the best writers you could ever write with, and she she's right up there. She's she's a great. You know, sometimes when you're in a room with someone like that, you're like, well, I don't know what they need me for, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's another one that hears all the notes, like she knows all the notes, and um, it's so fun to be in a room with somebody like that. Did the title come first on that one, or where did the concept? Yeah, I think that was a title out? song. Yeah, yeah, it was. A t- and then Hillary again just just starts singing. 
And uh, and I think that's a six eight. That's like a six six eight is like Hillary's lane as far as the the right hand. And I think um, you can always tell when when Hillary um, starts a song. And um, and I think that's how that landed. So what did Carrie bring to it then? Like what you say, she's a great writer. So what did she kind of add to it that maybe wouldn't have happened if she wasn't there? Well, really everything. And there's um, you know the, that's the thing about if I was gonna write that same exact song alone. I would that song would have to stay in the space of my voice. But when you have Carrie there, her voice can kind of do anything. Hillary's too. And they 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 have similar phrasing and they they you can tell that they've worked together a lot and that they respect each other as singers. Um but the song if if even just the three of us tried to write that song without her, it would not have vocally ended up in the world that it's in because um, that's how you can tell that she had so much of the melody because cause my my face would not have gone <laughs> to those notes because my throat can't hit them, you know what I mean? So that's why it's fun to write with Little Big Town because you write for the harmony. Like if when you're writing with the whole band, they literally want to hold words and notes so they could, the four of them can harmonize. It's like a whole different, like, I've, you know, all the years I wrote by myself, I was never going to write a song that way. Right. So when you get in with a great singer like that, and you great get in with, um, and the th- other thing about Carrie is she really knows what she wants to say. And I and thank God, because otherwise, you're just guessing. <laughs> Were yeah. those yeahs, like, you know, the parts where she's, like, really going at it? Was she just singing those yeah in Liz's house yeah it's crazy it's crazy and there's also a weird part of that song I w- I, Mark would know how to explain this it goes to like a strange chord because Hillary doesn't know what she's playing she bar chords everything and she doesn't know what what like key she's in or she doesn't know the names of the chords and she hit a wrong chord and went to fix it and Carrie was like no I love that I love that and so now it's in the bridge of the song it's so funny because Cause now when like it's like if I had to play the song I get it like I have to have a guitar player tell her like what is that chord that <laughs> and she sings it in the bridge you can hear it in the bridge but but normally we would have brushed past that but Carrie was like oh no I love that so it was like a happy mistake that you know ended up on the, in the song that's super cool yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time. This is one of the most fun chats we've ever had on the podcast, just getting into every in and out of where songs come from and, and that thought process. Well, so. thanks for having me. Thank really you for stopping you. by. Thank you. We appreciate it. <laughs> well, here's what I know. Even when she's sleeping She's still dreaming About you That's the way that it goes Even when she's laughing Part of her is worrying Something she didn't do She only sits for a minute She's a hummingbird in a living room She's a silhouette smiling with the weight of the world on her chest She'll move a mountain for you by the afternoon A mother never rests She works in colors It's her and the sun Waking up early Bringing light to everyone She's counting on angels She's hoping they're there But just in case every time she says your name It's like a little prayer And there's wishing stars for the hurt And band-aids for how it feels And the night lights on so we sun gets to sit But she's a southern believer The time in a clean house is how you heal So mother never rest There ain't a broken bone or a birthday that she'll forget She bit her lip and didn't cry the day you're happy 
that's how it is That's how it is I guess Well here's what I know Even when I'm sleeping I'm still dreaming All about you <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you, guys.